Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Hollywood Chewing Gum, French Chewing Gum with beaucoup de flavours. On these shows, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden and how they influenced me growing up as a boy in 1980s and 1990s Birmingham. I look at them today as well, in the 21st century, see how I feel about them. This week, I'm looking at the song Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, which is track 9 on the No Prayer for the Dying album. On last week's show, I looked at Hooks in You, the track before, because I do things in chronological order. And I had some comments about that show. I had Nick Page message about the cowbell sound and the fact that I tried to replicate it. He wasn't impressed. He said that clearly the Fray Bentos tin I used was full with the lid on and it would have sounded more like a cowbell if it was empty. He goes on to say that this is because the volume of the item inside a container affects the pitch and you get faster vibrations in the tin if the pie's been eaten. This increases the frequency. Alright, this, is, this isn't how to or Brainiac. It's not a science podcast. Next time I'll make sure I eat the pie before I try any drumming. I also had a message from Des Clark, and he's going back a couple of episodes to Run Silent, Run Deep, where I compared the solo section with this and Deja Vu. They were quite similar, weren't they? And I put them side by side. Now he was interested in this comparison, and uh, he got a sense of the difference in the production between them. And it was interesting that Deja Vu seemed louder, even though it was earlier. He says that the volume seemed louder because the remaster had got better stereo imaging and wider frequency. Now, I don't know if this is some sort of trick where people are writing in with comments about volume and frequency. Now, that's two separate ones now. If, I might as well have read the same thing out for the Fray Bentos Pi and Deja Vu compared with Run Silent, Run Deep. So what's going on here? You're all in league with each other, writing in to annoy me. I think I miss Hawklord. Anyway, as I said, this week we're looking at Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. And straight away, our attention goes to the title, doesn't it? There's like a rhyme in it. And you may remember, I didn't like this when it was Charlotte the Harlot. I complained about it. I'm not over happy with this title, but because it was a single, you could say that it's got something catchy about it before you even hear the song. So maybe this is a good thing. There's quite a few stinkers when it comes to Iron Maiden titles. We've already had Public Enema number one, haven't we, on this album? And that might be the worst we've had so far. And I'll always have a place for Die With Your Boots on in lists like this. And there's quite a few other Iron Maiden songs with rhymes in the title. 22, Acacia Avenue. There's another one. And it's strange that that's also a song about Charlotte the Harlot. So they both rhyme. Now last week we had the third song in the Charlotte the Harlot trilogy, if you want to call it that. That was called Hooks in You. But that doesn't rhyme of course. Unless you're from Stoke or Bolton, where they say hooks. The hooks in you. So that oops rhymes, doesn't it? Now this song, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, was written by Bruce Dickinson as part of the solo stuff he was doing around this time. And it was written and recorded originally for a Nightmare on Elm Street film. But Steve Harris heard it and liked it so much that he asked if Iron Maiden could record it and do it. So here it is. The song starts off with that Can I Play With Madness style guitar. We've already heard that in Fate's Warning. Here it is on Can I Play With Madness. And here it is on Fate's Warning. And finally, here's the song you've come to listen to. Bring your daughter to the slaughter. 
that's a nice start. It sounds quite big and well-rounded. That's been a bit lacking on the album so far with this Back to Basics vibe. It's got a good accessible sound, a bit more full and with more oomph and bite. Now the first line, Bruce says, it's getting close to midnight. But he doesn't sing it like Michael Jackson's in Thriller. It's quite different. You can tell that from this. She actually says honey first, honey it's getting close to midnight, and there isn't a funky soul backing behind him. Instead, when it says midnight, there's this nice guitar bit in the background that sounds like the clock chiming. Honey, it's getting close to midnight, and all the are still in town. There's a few scraping noises on the guitar strings as well, which adds a scary feel to it. So you could see that this would suit a horror movie. But rather than it being released on Halloween, it was released on Christmas Eve. But this was a Monday, so they'd just released it too late to try for the Christmas number one. If they'd wanted it to sound Christmassy, maybe they could have done a special radio edit with sleigh bells in the background. Uh, I mean, I know we had bells on Hooks in You, didn't we? Like Cowbell, but this would have been more festive. In December 1990, Cliff Richards was storming up the charts with Saviour's Day trying to knock Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice off number one. And he did this just in time. So therefore Cliff Richards was the Christmas number one. But he was only at number one for the one week, because on the 30th of December, Iron Maiden went straight in at number one in the UK singles chart. That's right, Iron Maiden at number one. If you've been paying attention, you'll remember that previously their highest position was number three. Yeah, So I bet that the fans had a lovely Christmas. You know, they might have got some sweets left or playing with the new toys they got off Santa. Maybe those Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles figures, which were popular at the time. And I had Rubik's Magic, which broke three days later. With all these good vibes, apart from the Rubik's Magic thing, they'd have heard this top 40 countdown with Bruno Brooks on the Sunday when it was bath night. Now, I imagine most Iron Maiden fans were listening to the radio to see if it had got to number one. Although... There was a terrestrial premiere of the film Spaceballs on BBC Two that day. Now luckily for me, I recorded it on VHS so I could hear Iron Maiden at number one. However, Radio One weren't playing the song because they'd banned it. So it was disappointing Christmas again. Rubik's Magic, no Iron Maiden on the radio. There's quite a lot of reasons why it got to number one. But to start with, I think it was the perfect single for Iron Maiden at this time. A catchy title. And a chorus, which I'll come to in a minute. It's also a time of the year where single sales aren't as high as the rest of the year. She needed less sales to get higher in the charts. A strange example of this is that Wasted Years sold more copies than Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter four years earlier. But that only got to number 18. I bet a lot of fans were pleased that it came out just after Christmas. So they could spend their Christmas money or record tokens on it. Or that postal order from Auntie Ethel. As a result of this, it was number one when 1991 kicked in and began. So you can imagine the New Year's parties of the time would have been playing it, seeing the New Year in with fireworks and laughter. I say imagine, uh, because I wasn't invited to any. It was number one the next week as well. I think it was more attractive for fans to buy because there was three different versions and three different sleeves to collect. So I reckon a lot of people bought more than one copy. Derek Riggs did the sleeves. So, you know, he was quite busy then, wasn't he? 
but he probably just laughed when he was told to do three different sleeves. I didn't buy all three of them. I just bought one of them, which was a seven inch with like a flip top on it. And it, the sleeve wasn't as nice as some of the others. It was just like a close up of Eddie's face. But I bought it because it was a picture disc. I've checked now online and this edition was known as the Brain Pack because you'd take the record out of that flip top, which was like a suggestion you were taking the brain out of Eddie's head, but the brain was a record. One of the seven inch versions was etched with Christmas messages from the band. Perhaps another chance for Dave Murray to do that joke, have a very sherry Christmas from Dave Murray. Looking at these, I see the brain pack is worth more money today, according to the Discogs website. So it's quite annoying that my copy had chewing gum stuck on it, almost stomped into it, which ruined it, because I couldn't open the flippy top lid to get the record out, so it had to be ripped off. I believe Trevor was behind this chewing gum incident, so I'll ask him about this later. There was a third version, which was a CD single and a 12-inch, and that had the nicest cover, which was Eddie with some female standing outside a club on top of some rubbish with creatures lurking underneath it. I'd like to thank Jay for reminding me about the Paradise Club, which is where they're standing, just outside that. The Paradise Club was a TV show in the UK at the time that Bruce and Yannick appeared in one episode. I'm thanking Jay because this was in a series of blogs that he's writing at biographyandmusic.wordpress.com and he goes into detail on the Iron Maiden albums. He gives a bit more detail on the sleeves than I do. I've mentioned the chorus and how it was catchy, so let's hear it. Probably not the best Iron Maiden chorus, but it's about right for a single. And the theme of the song, as I said, meant that BBC Radio 1 refused to play it, which probably added to the interest and got a few more sales as a result of it. After two weeks at the top, it slipped down quite quickly, down to number 9, then 32, then out of the chart. The 1990s were starting to find their identity, and we had indie bands that Trevor mentioned, like the Inspiral Carpet, Maybe Heavy Metal and Cliff Richards were starting to sound dated. Maybe it would have been a bit more contemporary for the time and stuck around for longer if the song had sounded like this. I bet that got you dancing. Talking of 1990s dance, here's another one of them adverts I found. Time Life Music presents I'm running free, yeah Oh, I'm running free Listen to the 90s with Nico I'm running free, yeah Oh, I'm running free I'm running free, yeah oh, I'm running free It's the best in 90s music and it's not available in the shops. Oh, I'm running free. Free from desire. Yannick's moves will terrify you. Free from desire. Running free from desire. Yannick's moves will terrify you. Free from desire. Na 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 It's a bit of an odd song overall. It's a bit like Can I Play With Madness, where some people reject it because it was popular and not as interesting as some other songs. We want to sound cool and trendy, don't we? 
and say we like the lesser-known songs a bit more. And it'd be easy to sneer, wouldn't it, if someone said, Run to the Hills with their favourite Iron Maiden song. But the Iron Maiden fan base isn't like this. We're all forgiving and respect each other's views. Unless you're Philippe Jomundo on YouTube, who said about Hooks in You, that this is without a doubt one of the best Iron Maiden songs ever written. That's when we tested. I think with Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, it's probably gone full circle now, and we've all poo-pooed it so much, that it's now alternative and out there to actually say you like it. I think to some people they see it as a guilty pleasure, and it shouldn't be. You shouldn't feel guilty about things that give you pleasure. Hold your head up high and shout out, I love Iron Maiden on the school playing field, and don't care what people think. Run around and do it. I never did it because I was too afraid and self-conscious. But maybe I'll go and do it later in the park if it stops raining. Maybe we should all do it. Hello, I'm recording this a bit later. and I've just gone down the park and here's a recording of me shouting out I love Iron Maiden. I love Iron Maiden! Now thinking about the song, I asked the question, who would bring their daughter to the slaughter? It's a bit of a strange request. Surely no one would do such a thing. But maybe it's one of those religious cult things, some satanic sacrifice where you're so engrossed in it that you lose all sense and logic. Like Philippe Dramundo on YouTube, who said, this is without a doubt one of the best Iron Maiden songs ever written about hooks in you. So yeah, losing sense and logic does happen. You know, you might find you can't string a sentence together when Fiona Gregory asks you what you thought of the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, Total Recall, and he wanted to answer normally. But all you can think about is that alien with three nipples. So I just ran away. I wasn't ready to talk about nipples with a girl. Perhaps the song isn't literally about slaughtering. In the chorus he says, Let her go, let her go, let her go. As if to say, let her live a life away from parental control. It's time to live, let go. And maybe that slaughter is the state of the world. He says, honey, it's getting close to daybreak. And maybe daybreak is adulthood. Finally some light, the dawn of your life. I was going through puberty at this time, so my daybreak would come soon. And I hoped to see some bright beginnings after a dark night of acne, angst, and seeing Simon Rafferty's smug face when I went the wrong way during a cross-country race. I'm sure I've mentioned that incident before in the loneliness of the long distance runner episode. Now daybreak could also be the world of relationships. You know, you're ready to go out and have a relationship. But then we see that they're not perhaps as what they seem or as nice as they could be. It says, no patent remedies for heartache, just empty words and humble pie. So that's a warning about the reality of being a grown up. And maybe it's not as good as you hope it'll be when you're a teenager. Alternatively, it could just be about what Bruce thinks happens in the Nightmare on Elm Street films, where there's slaughter and killing and blood and all that sort of thing. It actually says it's all about the adolescent fear of period pains. Um, now, I remember being quite scared of periods. There was a big section about them in the Osborne book of Growing Up, and it didn't make it clear that it was only girls who had these, so I was a bit worried about this for a spell. Overall, the song's quite standard, isn't it? And on this album, I've been quite critical when songs do that, when they're just standard. I want a bit more, don't I? But I feel that this song doesn't pretend to be anything other than it is. And therefore, it's a decent single. Or maybe, at this stage of the album, I've become desensitised to songs of this standard. Right, let's hear what Steve Harris has to say. It's Steve Harris's diary. It's Steve Harris's diary. It's Steve Harris's diary. 
1991. Can't believe it. Number one in the charts. Makes up for the fact that the album only got to number two. When it was announced, they had loads of journalists ringing up, wanting a reaction. I told them, I can't talk right now, right? Because I'm watching Spaceballs on TV. Rod organised a party for us to celebrate, seeing the new year. Seven up, beer. But the buffet felt like it was all his Christmas leftovers. Only toffee pennies left in the quality street tin. I gave them all to Nico to shut him up. Oh, he was chewing for hours. It's a shame it wasn't one of my songs that got to number one. But it was my idea to record Bruce's song, so there's some comfort. It got to number one in Finland and all, which seemed to please Yannick for some reason. He said he'd never dreamt we'd get a finish number one. Steve Harris's diary Steve Harris's diary Steve Harris's diary Steve Harris's diary There's a section near the end of the song where things drop out and build up slowly back into the chorus where Bruce just repeats Bring Your Daughter a few times. But then we get this section with like these R's in it. And it sounds like a cross between David Bowie and the Stetsford Male Voice Choir. Obviously, having two different versions of the song, you're bound to compare them. It's a bit difficult to do that fairly. On Bruce's solo version, you can see that the drums are a bit more basic, so clearly Nico's missed. In the chorus as well, there's this like lower warped vocal under the Bring Your Daughter bit, uh, which I don't think I like, but it's, it's subtle and it's low in the mix. Overall, the Iron Maiden version's a bit fuller, isn't it? So I guess they had the, the know-how to make it sound more like a single. But it still sounds like a good song for a soundtrack to a horror film, even Bruce's version. I think the solo is the only major difference. And maybe there's less laughs. And I mean Bruce laughing on the song. I don't mean laughs for us, the listener. Right, I'm going to give Trevor a ring now, see what he's been up to. Hiya, Wayne. Hi, Trevor, how you doing? Yeah, I'm alright. Bring your daughter to the slaughter week. That's good, isn't it? Well, maybe. Uh, I assume you quite like the song then? Yeah, I like it. I think it's nice that they finally got to number one. And I thought, they might give up now. I mean, what else can they do? Well, they can carry on doing the thing they love. It's not all about chart success, is it? You've still got things to achieve. If your poetry got to number one in the book chart, would you release a follow-up or or would you just give up? Well, maybe. Depends. On the money. Maybe I could retire early and live abroad. Maybe just come out now and again, write a poem for the Queen. But I suppose I won't have a number one book before the Jubilee, will I? Well, getting a bit tight now, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well. But you've always said I can't compare myself to Steve Harris and Iron Maiden. OK. Right, well, I mentioned that I had this single on a 7-inch. Uh, do you remember coming round to play and, and getting chewing gum all over it? No. Well, I think it was you. No. You were the one who had loads of Hollywood chewing gum. You got to remember you smuggled it all back from France. All right. But, but it wasn't Hollywood gum anyway. It was... That PK gum, that licorice flavour or aniseed. Can't get it anymore. Well, either either way, it wasn't me. And this is just like Michael Patterson again, isn't it? Blaming me. 
How about taking some responsibility for your own mistakes instead of blaming others? You spilled the pop, and last week you tried to blame me for the Ronald McDonald puppet incident in Erdington. Listeners aren't stupid, they remember. Okay, well I noticed this week that somehow the photo of me on the French trip with that dolly and the Aston Villa Hummel shirt was put on social media, on Twitter. Oh right, how did that happen? Yeah, I wonder. Now, I remember I posed for a doll for a joke, but now I've got people wondering why I'm playing with dollies, and I don't need this. Well, it's alright to play with dollies. Well, it wasn't in 1989 or 90, whenever it was. It's like those photos that come out of celebrities before they were famous and they get shamed for it. I don't want this. Well, there you go. Okay, well, as revenge for that, I'm going to tell you where those pants are, the ones that you couldn't find when you came to pack. Because I put them on the dolly as a joke and as revenge for you using vocabulary at the dinner table off a sheet you smuggled in, you know, pretending you were clever. You were just reading it off the vocab sheet. Oh, this soup's magnificent, you said, in French. But yeah... They must have known, and I was angry because all I could say was moi aussi, and that was silly. So yeah, as revenge for that, I put your dirty underpants on the dolly, and they're probably still there because you couldn't find them, could you, when you came to pack your suitcase? So there you go, that's where your pants are, still in St Malo. Well, that's not very nice. I wonder where those pants had gone. They were Popeye ones, and I'm annoyed now because I got told off by my mum for losing them in France. She said, you've lost your pants in France. Oh, yeah? I wonder if the family could send them back. Well, I doubt they're still there, are they? 30 years on, and they probably wouldn't fit you anyway, would they? Yeah, it'd be nice to have them. I don't think so. Anyway, should we talk about the song now? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it's alright. It's about trying to get a girl, isn't it? Trying to get together. Um, But, you know, telling us to sort of go with it. Carpe diem. Pardon? Carpe diem. It's what... I assume that's Latin. So we did French last week, and now we're doing Latin. Yeah, well, it's a phrase we use, isn't it? Seize the day. That's what he's telling the daughter to do. You know, just resist and just get on with life. Make the most of it. He says, if there's some living to be done before your life becomes your tomb. So he's basically saying, live now before it ends. That's similar to Marvel's To His Coy Mistress, isn't it? That poem that people link the song to. Aye. Yeah, famous poem he's trying to seduce a lady but she's too slow so that poem and this song are both an ironic statement on seduction okay but what does that mean well it means there's like a, a mix of light-heartedness and then also references to death so it's interesting okay so you've got a poem for us on this subject as i said last week you've got a head start because the title rhymes doesn't he yeah but i haven't really done that okay right here we go i asked your father for your hand daintily poised in your lacy glove. He said, of course, so I swung the axe and chopped it off for love. Proudly how it hangs up high in my shed with all the others. Trinkets, knick-knacks and locks of hair, souvenirs from lovers. Okay, so that, that sounds a bit creepy. So you've chopped some woman's hand off? Yeah, that's the twist. People think, I'm asking for a handy marriage, but I just want to chop it off and display it in my shed. This isn't a true story, though, is it? No. Right, don't have to go through puberty with your voice. I wasn't. I just can't believe you asked. It's obviously not to character, isn't it? Well, you should be careful, because 
Any incidents in Stetsford like this and this poem makes you a suspect? No, it doesn't. In fact, I won't be surprised if I look out the window later in the week and find the police raid in your shed out the back. Nah, it's obviously not real. Well, OK, even so, it's still mildly disturbing, however fictional it might be. So we're still doing next week's episode? Yeah, why? Well, Mother Russia. Thought it might be a bit awkward. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens, but, uh, yeah, Mother Russia next week, so... Uh, so you get a poem ready for that, maybe? Yeah, right. Thanks, Wayne. Bye. Right, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. I've got a Ko-Fi page where you can uh, leave a tip if you like and uh, read some other bits about the show. That's ko-fi.com forward slash wimp. I had a message from Rupert and he said, I had a nice biscuit the other day. He says, it was a sugary rectangle and it said nice on it. Oh, right, so he wasn't giving his opinion then. Uh, And he says, do you pronounce it nice or nice? Okay, I think he means nice or nice, those biscuits that say nice on it, but I think I say nice, so maybe I should have said that in the first place. But because it's written down on this message, I couldn't really see. He should have sent a photograph, and I don't know what he's on about, rather than just explaining it, telling me it was a sugary rectangle. Okay, well, there you go. I, I pronounce it nice then, in answer to your question. So, yeah, as I said, I'm on social media, and hopefully you've got something better than that to contribute to, you know, as comments about the show. I mean, I, you know, I can answer questions about biscuits. That's okay. But generally, I prefer you to comment about Iron Maiden because that's what the podcast's about. Luckily, I did get some comments and messages about Iron Maiden. In fact, we had a couple of people ask if Adrian Smith was going to do a spoken word tour like Bruce. Maybe Adrian would talk about his children's book and maybe take questions and answers. A bit like what Bruce has done, of course. And uh, can I arrange this, Wayne? Well, it says, can you arrange this, Wayne? Um... I don't, I don't know how, what influence I've got. I mean, I don't know if he'd listen to me. I think he'd probably more likely do a fishing book tour, wouldn't he? Where he'd talk about that one, because the children's book isn't out yet. So, yeah, maybe, maybe that's, yeah, it's a good idea. But uh, anyway. But, yeah, I suppose that reminds me of Bruce's spoken word tour, which is still going on in America and Canada. There's quite a few shows to come. And I've noticed a lot of headlines about it, those sort of daily updates you get on your phone, whether. You know, you Google or, or whatever, or online or on Twitter, and every day there's some sort of revelation from Bruce's shows, you know, Blabbermouth and all them. They'll tweet something about it, something he said in answer to one of the fans' questions. And I'm a bit fed up of it, because a lot of it we already know. It's information that's in his book, which you know, I'm sure we've all read. And, uh, yeah, the questions that have been asked, some of them have been a bit interesting maybe, um, some fan clips, but those that you get in your Google News... They're just common things. I'm a bit annoyed and I was hoping for more interesting questions. You know, like Bruce flying some men back from Afghanistan. We, that's nice, but we know this. This is common knowledge. Isn't it? It's nothing new, is it? I was hoping for questions a bit like those that were asked on the Paul Diano special. You may remember we had things like, who would win in a fight out of you and Bruce Dickinson? And uh, someone asked him if he liked apples. And remember how pleased he was with those questions? He was quite touched. Well, the one about apples, anyway. I don't think he was impressed with all the Bruce questions. I'm sure there have been interesting things that have been asked to Bruce on those shows, but those clickbait sites just pick up on the, the boring stuff. Well, in my opinion, anyway. So, as usual, it's me who's had to go beyond and bring things to the world's attention. So, I've got an undercover group to get into some shows over there and ask some awkward questions. 
well, not awkward, but just questions that we might be interested in. So I thought it'd be interesting to get his take on some of those things I just mentioned that we asked Paul Diana. So here's his response when someone said that Paul Diano had mentioned on my show that he would beat Bruce Dickinson in a fight. Yeah, right. Obviously, there's some disagreement in the room there. <laughs> That's encouraging. I had to cut that short on legal advice. So, uh, but yeah, that's not very nice, is it? I wonder what Paul Diano thinks about that. Clearly, there's a disagreement. On a lighter note, on another show, I got someone to ask him, do you have a favourite fruit? And, it, and he couldn't cope with it. I don't have one. I mean, at the moment, I don't have one. Look, look. He expanded on this a bit after pacing around the stage and contemplating this complex question. Um, gosh, well, um... And like Paul Diana, he did reveal that he liked apples. Apples. So there you go. So that's Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter then. Very important song. Not because it's a fan favourite. Uh, you probably wouldn't list it in your top 10 or 20 songs. But it got to number one in the charts, so therefore it's quite significant. It's also the only song off this album that they played in the 21st century, live. That doesn't mean it's the best song, but like Run to the Hills, it's the most accessible and people might know it if you ask the average person on the street, name an Iron Maiden song. So that's the penultimate song on the album. Next week, we'll have Mother Russia to end the album. So that's gone quite quickly, hasn't it? This new year, this new series, this new decade. Even though there's 10 songs on the album, which is longer than most of the others I've covered, um, yeah, I think it's gone quite quickly. So, yeah, it'll soon be 1992, but let, let's not jump ahead. It's still 1990 for now, even if this song did continue at number one in 1991. So, yeah, one more song to come next week. So, I hope you can join me for that. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>